I'm Candy Shannon, and you are tuned to member-supported WPFW, Washington. Monday edition of Community Watch and Comment. I'm your host, Gloria Minot. And U.S.-backed Syrian fighters pushed ahead in their offensive in northern Syria today against members of the Islamic State group under the cover of U.S.-led coalition airstrikes getting closer to a strategic town that is home to the country's largest dam. The latest advance by the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces showed that operations were still ongoing after last week's U.S. missile attack on a Syrian army base in the country's center. That attack followed a chemical attack again on the northern town of Khan Sheikhoum that killed 87 people. The U.S. blamed the Syrian government for the attack, a charge that Syria strongly denied, saying it hit a rebel arsenal that had chemical weapons. The British-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said the fighting between the SDF and ISIS members on the eastern outskirts of the town of Tabqa left at least 11 extremists dead. It said 36 ISIS fighters have been killed in the ongoing battle since Sunday. As we've been watching the unwinding of events both in Syria and in North Korea, I think that this speech by the late President John F. Kennedy, given at American University in 1963, courtesy of C-SPAN, is quite appropriate. Diplomats and economic uh, measures taken to rein in North Korea's missile program have not had the desired effect, according to a senior U.S. military commander. He said that on Thursday after the North's latest test triggered a flurry of calls among world leaders. President Trump led calls with leaders and senior officials from Japan and South Korea on Thursday to discuss the latest provocation from Pyongyang, hours before Trump begins a much-anticipated summit, then with Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. Here's that speech by President Kennedy at American University in 1963, courtesy of C-SPAN. President Anderson, members of the faculty, board of trustees, distinguished guests, my old colleague, Senator Bob Byrd, who has earned his degree through many years of attending Knight Law School, while I am earning mine in the next 30 minutes, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. It is with great pride that I participate in this ceremony of the American University, sponsored by the Methodist Church, founded by Bishop John Fletcher Hurst, and first opened by President Woodrow Wilson in 1914. This is a young and growing university, but it has already fulfilled Bishop Hurst's enlightened hope for the study of history and public affairs in a city devoted 
to the making of history and to the conduct of the public's business. By sponsoring this institution of higher learning for all who wish to learn, whatever their color or their creed, the Methodists of this area and the nation deserve the nation's thanks. And I commend all those who are today graduating. Professor Woodrow Wilson once said that every man sent out from a university should be a man of his nation as well as a man of his time. And I'm confident that the men and women who carry the honor of graduating from this institution will continue to give from their lives, from their talents, a high measure of public service and public support. There are few earthly things more beautiful than a university, wrote John Macefield in his tribute to English universities, and his words are equally true today. He did not refer to towers or to campuses. He admired the splendid beauty of a university because it was, he said, a place where those who hate ignorance may strive to know, where those who perceive truth may strive to make others see. I have therefore chosen this time and place to discuss a topic on which ignorance too often abounds and the truth too rarely perceived, and that is the most important topic on earth, peace. What kind of a peace do I mean and what kind of a peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana enforced on the world by American weapons of war, not the peace of the grave or the security of the slave. I am talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living, the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope and build a better life for their children, not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women, not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. I speak of peace because of the new face of war. Total war makes no sense in an age where great powers can maintain large and relatively invulnerable nuclear forces and refuse to surrender without resort to those forces. It makes no sense in an age where a single nuclear weapon contains almost 10 times the explosive force delivered by all the Allied Air Forces in the Second World War. It makes no sense in an age when the deadly poisons produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the globe and a generation yet unborn. Today, the expenditure of billions of dollars every year on weapons acquired for the purpose of making sure we never need them is essential to the keeping of peace. But surely the acquisition of such idle stockpiles, which can only destroy and never create, is not the only, much less the most efficient, means of assuring peace. I speak of peace, therefore, as the necessary rational end of rational men. I realize the pursuit of peace is not as dramatic as the pursuit of war, 
and frequently the words of the pursuers fall on deaf ears, but we have no more urgent task. Some say that it is useless to speak of peace or world law or world disarmament, and that it will be useless until the leaders of the Soviet Union adopt a more enlightened attitude. I hope they do. I believe we can help them do it. But I also believe that we must re-examine our own attitudes as individuals and as a nation, for our attitude is as essential as theirs. And every graduate of this school, every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace, towards the Soviet Union, towards the course of the Cold War, and towards freedom and peace here at home. First, examine our attitude towards peace itself. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. I am not referring to the absolute, infinite concept of universal peace and goodwill of which some fantasies and fanatics dream. I do not deny the value of hopes and dreams, but we merely invite discouragement and incredulity by making that our only and immediate goal. Let us focus instead on a more practical, more attainable peace. Based not on a sudden revolution. You've been listening to the voice of the late President John F. Kennedy. Peace was what he talked about. He was at American University in 1963. That was courtesy of C SPAN. The UN Security Council called an emergency meeting Friday, and US allies, some of them applauded the airstrikes in Syria. So what could be wrong? Sister Jenna of Brahma Kumaris, who wants prayer and diplomacy, diplomacy to have a chance, joins me right now to talk about efforts on the way to pray for the situation in Syria. Sister Jenna, good morning and welcome back. Good morning, Gloria. Always good to be with you. Well, we're... I know. Talking it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, and I know that we're smiling together only because sometimes humor helps, helps to reduce the intensity of what seems to be like um, an ho- a hopeless situation. The odds seem to be so insurmountable. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you're, you're bombarded with information about what's happening. Uh, on a, I mean, it's a ball-by-ball commentary throughout the mm-hmm. day, and you can't look away the horror of it all. You keep looking 
and you keep being appalled and frightened. Can I tell you how much I send my good wishes and pure feelings to journalists today? Because what it is that you all are going through in in just grappling with the intensity of the stories that you are conveying. Um, And I know that this has been a wake-up call for everyone, for everyone, you know, good, bad, ugly, tall, short. It's a wake-up call for all of us. And I think Kennedy said it best when he says problems are made by man, but solutions are also made by man. Yes. You, um, at the uh, Brahma Kumaris Meditation Museums, of course, you have that wonderful place in Silver Spring, Maryland that I haven't visited in a while and I'm due to visit. Um, You are hoping for diplomacy and prayer to have a chance. John Lennon said, give peace a chance. Let's give this a chance. Can I share with the public that I've moved beyond hope? I am acting more in an area that diplomacy is essential, but engagement is essential. I think that when we begin to share and and speak to another human being, whether they're black, white, Muslim, Christians, or Jew, we come to some sense like we're so much, um, we have so many things that match our feelings. We might eat different foods, we might look differently, but we somehow seem to support the same feelings. And recently, Gloria, we held a program called Mansa Seva at the Meditation Museum. And may I tell you how that all started? Go right ahead. I was in India on the mountaintop with 103 countries. And I was asked to be on a panel of leaders of countries that were going through challenging leadership. One was Turkey. The other was the Philippines. One was Syria. And, of course, good old America. And I was more touched by Ayman, and Ayman was one of the leaders in Syria. And Ayman spoke to the audience of 103 countries, leaders of various countries, and he said, do any of you do Mansa Seva for Syria? And what Mansa Seva meant is, do any of you send your pure feelings and good wishes to my country and to my people? And the audience went flat, like, oh, my God, I didn't even think of ever doing that. Mm-hmm. And that was why I held Mansa Seva this weekend, because I wanted us to understand that our thoughts matter. Our vibrations of thoughts matter. I think what we're enduring are the thoughts and the vibrations of, of everything around us right now. It's ma- it matters. I was going to say mattering. Mm-hmm. It really matters <laughs> because we're feeling it. But what can I do? What can I do to focus on a practical form of inner peace and peace in my world? And that's why I call people to be very, very honest and clear with what their thoughts are signaling to them on a day-to-day basis. You know, in your information here, you said that in the United States, it is estimated that stress affects more than 100 million people. Based on a survey by the American Psychological Association, the three highest stressors are the economy, money, health concerns, and family responsibilities. Don't we all have some of those to deal with? We do, and now we have the uncertainty of our idealism being challenged 
um, out of all the countries in the world, you go to India, you see lots of Indians. You go to China, you see a lot of Chinese folks, and you go, oh, yes, that is China, that is India. But you come to America and you see the melting pot, a multitude of faces, religious ideas, um, different belief systems, and yet we can all sit at a table at a vegetarian restaurant and have a fantastic conversation. And I think it's this, it's this aim, Gloria, and everyone listening, it's this, it's this idea that we have been birthed into that this land and this country offers us an ideal of a universal sense of community and a living together. And something in the ethers, I don't have an answer yet, but the languaging and the news and the stories are leading towards, forget that idealism, we're only a country of one specific race and everyone else is less than. And I think that is shifting us in ways that we cannot even imagine. It's 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 just amazing the things that unfold before our very eyes daily. I mean, the day goes by and something happens and you're appalled and you said, well, uh, n- nothing can top that. And then the next day comes and... <laughs> and, it <tops> it. <laughs> and it's funny, I was having a conversation with my dear friend who runs a very large ministry um, who's Christian and called about the Coptic bombings in Egypt. Yes. And I said, I know, right? Um, just a few months ago, we had a leadership of virtues and values, and forget the skin color of the leadership. But now we find ourselves in a leadership of consciousness that seems to be opposite to honesty, truth, values, and integrity. So I was sharing with her, it's not about the people. Don't look at who the president was before, whether it's 44 or 45. But it's so important that we raise our awareness and look down and see that it's a fight between virtues and vices that's going on. And the vices in the human spirit are being so erupted right now that it's even scaring the ones who have lived a life of values and virtues because at what point does that even consume my being and I begin to walk away from my godliness? Because to me, God is qualities and virtues. So you could be Muslim, a Jew, and even an agnostic, mm-hmm. but you could still have these qualities and God's energy is going to be with you. You know, I, I, I heard, uh, and I don't remember where I heard it, but someone said once that God made us all, and regardless of religion, he made us all. And then he got so afraid of us that it was, he went straight <laughs> back to heaven. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I were you. I'm kind of like, could I sit in your pocket, please? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. But and, go ahead. No, I, I know that many of us are feeling various emotions, and I think that we need to address these emotions, whether it's anxiety or stress, whether we are maintaining hopefulness that this is a good decision for those who made a decision of the leadership that's then whether it was an honest election or a dishonest election, the reality is this is what we are facing, this level of consciousness. And even the most darkest of human beings have something recorded in them that they want to do something good for mankind. So my whole notion is how do I find the good in the midst of the dark? And I invite people to start with yourself. 
During the Reagan years, I, I lived in this country. I came here at the height of Watergate, so I, I uh, experienced. Into it. I walked right into it. I experienced experienced politics at its most uh, vigorous, uh, you know, stage. And um, I remember then uh, during the Reagan years, we were concerned about the balance of power between the then uh, Soviet Union and the United States, and we kept hearing about this little button and the phones and who can push what and all that kind of thing. And yeah. we, you know, we, we worried about who first would push that button and annihilate yeah. all of us. And, uh, and uh, even as the years went by and, and other administrations came, I never felt this kind of... Closeness uh, of reality. Yeah, yes, I, I, I ne until now, I'm, I'm yeah. feeling it again. You know, um, and it's, it's, it's a quite a dark place to be. Well, what I do feel, and what I do know at this stage in my life, I don't know if I'll change my ideas tomorrow. We are energy. You and me, everyone on this uh, show, we are souls. We are God's children. We come from His energy. We go back to his energy. So we can never be destroyed. We can be removed from the part that we're playing. We can be removed from the bodies that we're in. But as a living soul in the spirit of consciousness, we will never die. I do believe that the vices of the soul, anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego, an acronym I use called ALGI, mm -hmm. that defines these words. You hear me use it all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that whoever decides to pu push whatever button or press whatever button and get that last call, it is the algae that pressed that button. And it's the algae that's saying to humanity, there's nowhere else to go. This has to get out of the system. So I feel that what will happen is that we will end up being removed from our bodies, being very um, um, detached. We will leave the body have a, some sort of a breathing room, like after a storm, then there's the cleanup. But then the world will continue, we will continue, and perhaps we would have learned our greatest lessons that will last for generations to come, that love is stronger than hate, that um, peace is stronger than war, that truth is more powerful than lies. And maybe that's what our future generation will learn when they look back and perhaps hear about the history of what we went through. Well said. Could you give um, some information as to how one could get in touch with your organization? Please, everyone, feel free to give us um, um, visit us at www.meditationmuseum.org or call us at 301-588-0144. 588 mm -hmm. and that's 588-0144. Area code, three, no, area oh, code sorry, 301. 301. 301. No, that's okay. Yeah. All right, Sister Jenna, Gloria. always good to talk to you. Same here, sister. All right, okay, take care. Here. More take time care. here? Yes, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Buddy. All right, bye-bye.